Today I want to talk to you about exactly what Gil teed up, which is how do we actually go to the bullseye and measure the heart of the nexus between social value, social responsibility, sustainability, whatever you want to call it, and actual consumer behavior, or if you're a B2B company, actual customer behavior. I think for so long, our biggest challenge as an industry has been that we have been under-measuring. We've measured what's easy. And today, the industry is calling for us to measure what's hard. And I want to share with you some new research on how um, some leading brands have been figuring out that nexus and measuring the, the social value proposition to their consumers, basically unbundling the ambiguity of CSR into a series of tangible, quantifiable social benefits in figuring out what social benefits will drive behavior and then measuring how well we're doing at those benefits. But it was only uh, a few years ago uh, in this very building, actually, that I gave a speech to um, Net Impact Conference. And there were about 150 people in the audience. And I start off my, my speech by asking people um, in the audience, how many people hate Walmart? I asked them. Hate them. Would never shop there. Can't stand them. And they said, well, you know, um, yeah, about 25 people raised their hands. And when I told the story of the Walmart executives, they were like, that's it? Only 25? Sweet! <laughs> uh, and then I said, well, here's a fact. Last year, Walmart donated over $400 million to charity. $400 million they donated to charity. More money than any corporation in America. True. I said, now how many people hate Walmart? 26 people raised their hand. I was like, where did you come from? He said, oh, I'm a shareholder. You just vaporized $400 million of my money. Now I hate them too. The simple fact is that the strategies that we have been using to produce social benefit are outdated. The fact is that almost every single company in this room is giving money to charity, has a volunteering program, and is doing some type of CSR report. We are at parity in the business of social change. So giving away money is simply meeting the expectations of what people already think you should do. No one's going to reward you for giving money to charity. Just like we learned from doing work with Levi's on their factory workers program and them declaring that they uh, found no child labor in any of their factories, no one's going to congratulate you for not having kids in your factory. right? Like, just don't do it. But I think we are realizing that simply measuring compliance or how not bad we're doing or how we're making the world marginally less worse isn't good enough. That's great. Let's prove that we're not bad. But there are a rising set of expectations of what we should be proving and what benefits we should be delivering, and it goes well beyond compliance today. So the first point I want to make is that the business logic of CSR is fundamentally changing. I work with CEOs every day of major companies, and what I'm hearing from them is that we don't want to just see we're in the Dow Jones Sustainability Index. I don't want to just see another GRI report. I don't need to see all these CSR indicators or that you got an award from Boston College or whatever. That's great. Help me drive the bottom line. And the traditional ways that we have been thinking about driving the bottom line, the business logic of our work has been 
We drive the, the bottom line through general PR and branding, through cost containment. I had one company say to me, hey, look, you know, we have this amazing software. We're so sustainable. You check this out. We have this software that crawls into people's computer screens at night and turns them off. So we save energy. We've saved the company over $40,000 last year. This is a multi-billion dollar bank. When I told the CEO about it, he kind of laughed. He's like, that, that's great, but really, Jason, do I care? I mean, these things are not bad things to do, but the business logic of either just minimizing costs or minimizing risk or doing generic PR is not good enough anymore. And in many cases, the reason why we are aiming our sustainability and social responsibility strategies at those types of outcomes is because we have been listening to a very constrained set of people. We've been listening to stakeholders, activists in Geneva, academics, researchers, nonprofits, NGOs. You know, I've been one of them. I agree there's an important voice for those folks. But on some level, we've not been listening to the single most important stakeholder in our universe, which is our own customers. How many of us have actually researched what social benefits our consumers want? Not just in a stated sense of, if you give to charity, I'll reward you, but actually quantifying with the same rigor that our CMOs are using to understand the benefits of our products and services. How do we apply that same rigor to the social side and understand what social benefits will drive consumer behavior? What will allow our brand to outperform other brands? And if you look at all the research, Phil Kotler, a colleague of mine at Northwestern's Kellogg School, uh, wrote a book on marketing 3.0. Um, there's a lot of research from Nielsen and others about the socially conscious consumer, and frankly about all consumers that are now being driven by purpose. But purpose is more than just a word. We need to unpack that. We need to dimensionalize that. We need to quantify that. And that's where I think our field has come up short. We've been talking about it. We like it. It sounds good but we haven't been able to really operationalize it. And so that's where the, the, the power of this really comes in, is how do we take this to the next level? The simple fact today is that almost all major consumer brands are in a parity position. Price, quality, and convenience are all pretty much at parity. We've done a lot of work for McDonald's over the year, and as I told their CEO, Don Thompson and, and Jan Fields in the U.S., I said, you know, um, we can't be open more than 24 hours a day. We can't have prices below a dollar. We can't buy, be on any more street corners. And we can't have anyone know our name more than who already knows it. So there's nothing more we can do. In fact, the only reason that McDonald's sales aren't growing today is because of frequency. And the biggest inhibitor to frequency is their negative social impact on consumers. So how do we help isolate what those variables are, and then use that to drive the business. Consumers are already responding to social value drivers today. Anyone in the room have a pair of Tom's shoes? Right? You probably didn't buy them because they were the cheapest shoes, and you probably didn't buy them because they were the most available, like every corner you went, there, there was a pair. And they're good quality, but they're probably not the greatest quality of any shoe ever. There's some X factor. There's some social value proposition that's driving people to buy Tom's shoes versus other shoes. 
There's some social value proposition that's making us go to Chipotle over other fast food restaurants. There's some social value proposition that's making us buy a Tesla over other cars. What is this X factor? That's what companies are trying to realize, and frankly, that's what all of us in this room are in the business of manufacturing. We manufacture social benefits to consumers. So let's unpack a little bit what these social benefits are. It really falls into two camps, extrinsic and intrinsic benefits. The extrinsic benefits are mostly what we talk about, doing good for society and for the environment. These have no actual direct benefits on the lives of the consumers. They are external or, or extrinsic. Intrinsic benefits are things that actually affect the consumption or the enjoyment or the functionality of the customer experience. Things like, you know, we buy organic milk because I don't want to put hormones in my kid's system, right? That's a functional benefit. That's an intrinsic benefit. Or I buy Tom's shoes because I want the label and I want to be eco-chic and I want to have that identity. Whatever it is, there are different sets of benefits. And so it's more than just purpose. We can unpack purpose into extrinsic and intrinsic. One of my um, ahas from our research is that we have been erring too much on the side of extrinsic benefits. For example, as Gil pointed out, the reason why Tesla has the lowest crash rating is on one hand uh, because they challenge the company to be perfect, and on the other hand because there's no engine uh, in an electric car, so it doesn't damage the participants when they get in accidents. Um, the functional design of certain sustainable brands and, and functionality has real traditional benefits to consumers. There was some really interesting research, and I encourage you to check it out, by a woman named Kumar Ilawati. Uh, I can share it with you offline, but she is at Dartmouth uh, Tuck School. And they did real uh, statistical research, not just on stated importance of would you buy this brand if we were associated with a good cause, but of actually driving consumer benefits uh, from extrinsic versus intrinsic social responsibility. And they found that... Um, about 30% of consumers were socially conscious consumers. This was in the grocery store retail business. That respo responded very strongly to extrinsic benefits. But the vast majority of customers, 60%, were not socially conscious. They were just customers. And in fact, they responded negatively to extrinsic CSR. They said, this is wasting my money. Uh, it just shows that my grocery dollars are going to things that I don't want to spend it on but they responded extremely positively to intrinsic benefits. In fact, as much as 6% increased consumer behavior and likelihood to purchase because of them. So we need to realize that there are different benefits for different consumers. And at the end of the day, if you take one thing away from this discussion, it's that CSR needs to be thought about as a benefit delivery vehicle, not as a do-good function. We are manufacturing social and environmental benefits that our customers want, and we need to understand what their needs are, and what they value, so we can influence their behavior. That's the game. So we can unpack this even further. And this is some of the research we did based on a study of the fast food industry using quantitative consumer insights market research and econometric modeling to understand exactly, precisely, what social benefits consumers care about and how they link directly to purchase intent and purchase behavior. And what we found was fascinating. Uh, first of all, as much as 40% of consumer behavior was unexplained by all the traditional 
um, models that companies were using. They were using bases and all these predictive modeling things to look at the packaging and the color and the design of the products, but they were ignoring all the social and environmental factors because no one had quantified them and put them into a model. So we regressed all of those value drivers that we teased out through qualitative interviews against the traditional value drivers and found their correlation to consumer behavior. This was mind-blowing for some of the companies because they had formally thought about the CSR function as, that's ah, a nice thing to do, we'll get some press and maybe a few mentions. But now we realize that actually consumer, consumers demand certain social value drivers that our CSR function can manufacture and deliver. We need their help because we got to drive sales. And now here's a direct, quantifiable way how we can do it. This was also fascinating. When we unpacked the social value drivers, we understood exactly um, how they ranked, meaning we prioritized them among consumers and regressed them against consumer behavior and found the most and least valuable social value drivers um, of all value drivers. You know, how do they compare to all value drivers? And the least impactful drivers to consumers are many of the things that we are all doing today. Shockingly. And I sat down with McDonald's and I said, hey, you know, we're giving all this money to charity. We're um, you know, doing cage-free eggs. We're using recyclable packaging. Actually, these are among the least valuable things we could be doing for consumers on the social side. Did you know that? Have we ever really asked? This was... Important to know, that doesn't mean we don't do this, and there are other reasons why we do things. But this is an increasingly important stakeholder group that we need to unpack and understand. These were the least valuable value drivers, social and otherwise. These were the most powerful value drivers in consumer decision-making, of all value drivers, not just social stuff, of all. We highlighted the blue ones. First, the business didn't understand that among the top five value drivers, three of them were social in driving consumer behavior. Second, what they didn't understand also was that all this concern about obesity and negativity around fast food is actually, there's a positive side to that, which is that consumers will reward your brand if you make it easy for them to eat better. We value that as consumers. We are willing to pay for that. Make a positive impact on my life. Help my child make it fun and easy for them to eat healthy, and I will go to your restaurant more. So instead of just giving money to obesity causes or the Boys and Girls Clubs to help kids play after school and feel like we've expunged our guilt, let's actually deliver a better social benefit to our consumers through our core business. Let's use the engine of our business to create social impact, not the fumes. And we can rank now companies based on these social value drivers. So for investors and market analysts, and even other companies, we can now create a social value proposition index that ranks which companies are scoring the best on these social value drivers that matter the most. And frankly, some of those companies may be undervalued in the market because we don't realize and haven't been able to quantify the power of consumer trends, and other companies may need to be shorted if they're going against these trends. At the end of the day, every company has a social value proposition. Right? The social value proposition is really how well your business is delivering the benefits that consumers care about most. It's just that simple. First, what value drivers affect consumer behavior towards your business? Second, how do you prioritize them? And third, how well are you doing against the ones that matter the most? I, I encourage you, 
um, to think critically about what is your social value proposition? What is the nexus between consumer demand, the types of social impact that are valuable, and the core business strengths that you have? And we can quantify it, and you can directly understand it now that you understand where the data comes from. But the fact of the matter is, in this world of CSR strategy, we only have two ways we can develop our strategy. One is that we can guess. The other is that we can know. And I think, frankly, today we can't afford to guess. We have to know. And the end of the story with Walmart was that they actually did this research. They understood exactly what benefits consumers wanted. One of their major business goals about five years ago was to get into the inner city markets, like Chicago, New York, and other cities that they were formally shut out of because they were considered to be negatively socially impactful by underpaying people and uh, putting small businesses out of business. Our research uncovered that the social benefit that consumers and governments wanted most was to eradicate hunger because they were the world's largest grocer. And if they could create the $4 prescription for drugs, why couldn't they create the $4 meal and lower the cost of healthy food? So they did. And we created a program called Fighting Hunger Together. That was their social value proposition that drove at the value drivers we knew mattered. And that was probably a significant reason why they opened up several new markets in inner cities and, and has significantly grown their grocery business. So that's the end of the Walmart story, is that um, it's not just about doing good. It's about creating value for customers and understanding what needs they have and how do we deliver benefits through the engine of our business rather than the fumes. Thank you for your time today. Fascinating, Justin. Get a mic, please. Am I on? Yeah, fascinating presentation. I think we'll hear a lot over the couple of days about creating value. Uh, Justin, will you, will you take a couple of questions? Can I get, can I get some mics in the room, please? Um, and if, um, I'll, I'll start with the first one. You showed the highest-ranking social value par, uh, proposition companies. What characterizes those? Why are those particular companies on the list? Uh, well, simply put, you know, those are the companies that score the best among consumers at delivering those social benefits. Yeah, but why do you think those companies were able uh, to do that? What about yeah. those companies put yeah. them high? Well, I, I think... What, what, what decisions did they make? Great, great question. Two reasons. One, some of these companies are just organically built to deliver those benefits, right? So, um, you know, by virtue of who Chipotle is, they were, deliver, they, they were designing things... And, um, and marketing themselves in a way that deliver those benefits. Some of those companies are organic to who they are. Other companies realize that, like Subway, mm -hmm. hey, you know, there's, um, we need to rebrand what we're doing. We need to show Jared, we need to show how we're having a positive impact on people's lives. We're, we're going to call the owners of this Doctors Incorporated, whatever it is. And um, they made it a major part of their business. They were just a Subway company. I mean, uh, you know, submarine sandwiches. Um, and now there are more Subways in this country than McDonald's. And that is the number one threat to McDonald's, that company. Good. Thank you. Any questions? Yeah, over here. Could you tell us who you are and stand up, please? Yes. Hi, Miriam Konem, L'Oreal. Um, I have a question regarding the Walmart example, because I really like the, the idea of this SVP, but I'm, I'm just concerned. Are we shifting the problem? In fact, so, because does it solve the fact that now Walmart has a campaign, you know, like has a proposal around the hunger campaign, but does it make the company doing better for his employee and for, does it solve the rest of the problem that for mm. me are the main issues? 
So I'm just interested in that because then for me it's just shifting the issue somewhere else and having the consumer being the focus. And I think that it doesn't solve the social challenges that exist in yeah. this country. Je peux répondre en français, s'il vous plaît. <laughs> But for the rest of you, I'll, I'll speak English. Um, the, um, the question is a good one, which is, what about all the bad things companies are doing? Um, I think we have a dual focus in our field. One, we need to hold companies accountable for not being bad. There are many watchdogs and other activists that are out there holding them accountable. At the same time, my feeling is we also need to be able to help companies do good. And I, uh, there's no such thing as a good company in my world. Everybody's doing some bad things and some good things. My work is about how do we maximize the good? How do we help companies be part of the solution? So there are definitely problems, and there is no perfect company, but um, my intervention and my focus is I think we've under-intervened on the positive side, and as a result, all we've done, and if you read books like you know, The Death of Environmentalism or, or, or Breakthrough or others, It's the same thing in the environmental movement. So much is about beating up companies for being bad that we've lost our edge. We've lost our incentive. We've lost our space in the CEO suite to be influential because we're just like Dr. Doom. And we need to start talking to them about how they can be part of the solution and how they can actually benefit by solving some of these problems. At the same time, we do need to hold them accountable for, um, for uh, being, uh, you know, having negative impacts on society, too. I think it's both. Okay, we'll move on. Jason, thank you so much. Thanks, Joe. Yep. <clears throat>